Hey, good morning, church. Good morning. All right, good morning online watchers, glad you're joining us. Uh, just a quick reminder for you, if you are parents with kids, we have an, uh, an entirely new program uh, set up for them, so uh, you can see the videos and the teaching there. We're trying to empower you as parents to kind of bring your kids along, uh, and so please check those out. A lot of those videos are going to correspond to what we're doing uh, here in the sanctuary, and so uh, please do that. Also, for all of you who have been able to join us, uh, thank you. It is so fun to see the room filled with people. Is it nice to worship together? Uh, yes, it is super, super cool. Uh, we're doing our best to be distant and masked and everything else. Uh, and so uh, it is great. If you've yet to join us, uh, we just want to continue to throw that invite out there. We would love to have you join us here on a Sunday morning. Nothing can replace being together in person, worshiping together, opening the scriptures and being together as followers of Jesus. Uh, uh, and, and it is so, so cool to see all of you together. I want to thank Heather and the team for leading us in worship. Uh, it is so, so cool. We are gifted beyond belief as a church to have unbelievable talent. Tanner will be up here leading us in worship next week. Uh, and so uh, super excited for that. You can clap for him too. Yeah. Uh, he's the one that looks like he's 12 over here because uh, he shaved. Uh, for the military, but it'll uh, come back and he'll look like a man again. Anyway, uh, I don't know what your week has looked like. I don't know what this morning has looked like. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know what tribulations you're facing. I don't know what joys you're facing or, or questions that you're facing. It seems like all of that is coming together uh, on a regular basis for each and every one of us, unique to, uh, to each individual. Uh, and so I don't know what those things are, but here's what I do know. Our God is big. Our God is, uh, has won the fight. He continues to win the fight each and every day in our in individual lives, but also in this world. And we must, as believers, cling to the cross, cling to the scriptures for our hope and our encouragement and our strength, because the news isn't our hope. Can we say amen to that? The news is not our hope. Uh, things getting better isn't our hope. Someone getting elected or not getting elected, that's not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the truth. Our hope is what in what Heather and the team led us in this morning. And I hope you're holding on to that. I hope you're holding on to that truth for strength. Because if you've been like me at times, uh, I had a, a day that none of this has to do with the sermon. I just want to let you know any of this. I had a day, I think it was... Uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and I was in a horrible place. I was depressed. I was grumpy. Uh, I was just not in a good mood. I, I didn't like, everywhere I looked was turmoil. Everywhere I looked was change. Everywhere I looked was uh, insecurity and, and the unknown. And I was just tired of it. Anybody, like, have you been there? It's good to know that I'm not alone. Just was tired of it. Um, and then I decided to paint <laughs> to distract myself. I just started painting doors and door frames and where I, I've, I've really started a mess at our house. But I turned on worship. 
and it changed everything for me. It changed my perspective. It changed my heart because now my eyes weren't on the, the horizontal of everything going on in this world. My eyes were vertical. And I just found myself weeping as I painted, just an idiot, because of hope, because I remembered. And this morning, we're going to be hitting the Shema and the ideas to remember. And, and I just want you to know, for me, uh, having been in a horrible place, just, just not a fun person to be around that day. God changed that. And I, and I hope if you're there today, or if you've been here recently, I hope that the truth of the Scriptures changes that for you today. I hope as we partake in communion, uh, both here uh, present, but also for you online, uh, you can run and grab some bread and some juice and, and partake of communion. I hope that changes things. Because lest we begin to think that this is just going through the motions and we're doing this out of routine. Because this is the farthest thing from routine. Okay, didn't plan any of that. Um, certainly not picking on Tanner, but let's get back to what we're here for. Uh, we've started this new series, you can see the title both here and the screen at home, called Elementary. Uh, and basically what we did is we came together as a staff and we went, man, everybody's really caught up in social injustice right now. How do we live in this world of injustice? Because if you haven't figured this out yet, it has way more to do with race. Uh, there are other things that are going to be rolled out in the coming months and years as injustice is fought against, but it's inundated to us on a regular basis. So how do we live in the midst of this? And then you throw COVID on top of that. You throw uncertainty about the election on top of that. You throw uncertainty about health and finances and job, and, and it just continues to pile up. How do we do that? How do we wake up every morning and immediately start acting like we've had three cups of coffee instead of looking like Eeyore walking around our house? How do we do that? And so last week, we really hit injustice. What is injustice? What does it look like? What is it uh, caused by? And why does it continue to exist? And what's the solution behind uh, injustice. But I wanted you to know this morning, we have a secondary problem that's bigger and, and more than just the idea of injustice, and that is it's not going away anytime soon, at least this side of heaven. That's a problem. Uh, that's a problem for us to digest, uh, especially I look at all the young people that are here, as you are growing up from the youngest of young to the oldest of old, you're coming into your own. You're the next middle schoolers, the next high schoolers, the next college students, the next CEO. It's your generation that's coming. But this side of heaven, injustice isn't going away. So how do we do that? And in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about the importance of living and depending on the power and the relationship with the Holy Spirit and, and, and how that affects what we do. And then we're going to be looking at reestablishing the importance of the Sabbath. But this morning, I'm excited to unpack the Shema. Please stand in reverence and submission as we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 4. It'll be full screen for those of you who are at home. You can read that aloud for those of us in here. I'm going to read it to us, and here's what the Shema says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Actually, in the original language, there is no is. It just says, the Lord, one. That's because they didn't have a word for is. 
little side note. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Notice the word all. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. I look at the little children here. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, which seems a little extreme, but nevertheless, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Remember, 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 remember. Don't forget. Tell others about this. Do not forget. Remember. Let's pray together. So God, as we unpack one of the most powerful uh, prayers, one of the most powerful speeches that are located in the Scriptures, I pray that you would bring them to life, that you would help us to understand the heart behind these instructions, and that these instructions that have guided your church for thousands of years would guide us as your little church on the hill at 225 Majestic View Drive, that you would guide each and every one of us as we live in the context of our own lives. That is our prayer this morning, and we need your help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. The Shema refers to these few lines in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. Turn your phones on. Open up your iPads or your tablets. Uh, hit pause on the video, run and grab your Bible, open up to Deuteronomy. If you're new to the Bible, new to the Scriptures, new to church, God bless you. We're so glad you're here. If you open up your Bible at the very beginning, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This became a daily prayer, uh, twice a day eventually, morning and night prayer for the ancient Israelite tradition. It's essentially the equivalent for the uh, Christ-following Protestant church of what we do as the Lord's Prayer. So it's equivalent to that from the Jewish tradition. The Shema gets its name from the very first Hebrew word in the prayer of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, here, or maybe your version has listen. It's one of the most famous, important prayers in all of the Bible. And it's one that we see the Hebrew people repeat over and over and over, and even Jesus repeats it. It is so critically important. And here's what it says yet again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? He's one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, with all of your soul, and how much strength? All. All, all, all. It's a powerful prayer and one that is, uh, has deep theological and doctrinal meaning packed into just a few words. The Shema which is the Hebrew word for listen. It's the centerpiece of this very last speech given by dear Moses that he gave to the Israelites before they went down into the promised land. And after entering the promised land, the Shema became the prayer of the Israelites. 
We're going to watch a video here in just a moment, and I said last week that we would be watching these video clips throughout. This comes from the Bible Project, and if you have not been part of our life groups up until now, uh, historically this has been something that we've been uh, slowly folding into our life groups, and it will certainly be a centerpiece of our life groups going into the fall to be able to watch these anywhere between three to like seven-minute clips and then have discussions centered around the Scripture's for our guidance. So if you're not in a life group or uh, you would like to be in a life group, we're going to be doing a reboot of, of what it means to be in a life group personally, uh, in person, but also through virtual settings as well. So you're going to be hearing more about that. But this kind of gives you a taste of what those life groups are going to be looking like uh, in the very near future. So as we begin to unpack the Shema, please turn your attention to this video and we'll be with you in just a second. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema.
So I don't know about you, with, I have three little boys. And on a regular basis, they will say, I heard you. Those little rascals. <laughs> I'll say, hey, come down for dinner. Minutes. Boys, come down for dinner. Third time, fourth time. Then by the end, they're screaming, we heard you. And I have started saying, Shema, Shema. Listen to me for crying out loud. Because just because they heard me and they don't respond, did they really hear me? And, and when we take some of those principles and we apply it to our lives, in a way, it kind of answers the question, the age-old question, is it faith or is it works? Shema, Shema answers that question. You must respond. I hope you caught a few of those nuggets. To Shema or to hear from God means to hear, pay attention, and respond. It's not enough just to hear with our ears. It's not enough just to hear a sermon. It's not enough just to hear a podcast or to hear a worship song or to hear what the Scriptures say to you as you're reading them. Pay attention and respond. Furthermore, I, and, and practice this, parents. Shema, shema. If anything, you'll just confuse your kids, which is super fun as a parent. Shema, shema, listen closely. And friends, if we are going to navigate the present waters of culture, particularly as it pertains to injustice and what our response to either real or perceived injustice it begins and ends with hearing closely from God. Paying attention to God. To what He is saying. And then responding to Him. That's how as Christ followers... We are going to join with our ancestors from the first century church to today in responding to whatever life throws at us. Because we can't respond to the news. We can't respond to what our gut says. We can't respond to what our neighbor says or even what our family member says. We respond to the God of all creation. We submit to his authority. Don't miss this. This idea takes practice, it takes discipline, it takes accountability, it takes support and encouragement and strength and a community others that are doing the same thing. Does that sound like the church? It sounds like the church. It sounds like what we are doing here. You're not just a bunch of individuals who are showing up at church. Now, yes, we're distant. Yes, we have a few chairs separated, but we are the church, Amen. and we are stronger when we are the church. Notice the shot 
something given to an individual. It wasn't given to just one person. It was given to a people group. It was given to the church. It was given to community. Now, the Shema is a collection of speeches attributed to, to Moses predominantly to be handed down to the next generation. Certainly, it was to encourage those who were hearing, but it was intended to be handed down to the next generation of Israel that was entering into the promised land. And Moses challenges them with his wisdom and his warning because he doesn't want the Israelites to repeat their parents' mistakes. Parents in the room. Parents or grandparents online. Let me ask you a fairly obvious question. Do you want your kids to repeat your mistakes? Some of you right now are reflecting on your major blunders. I'm talking big ones. As parents and grandparents, there's nothing more than we want. Don't follow in my footsteps in those blunders. Learn from me. And this is the heart of Moses. This is the heart of, of these guiding words because he doesn't want the new Israelites, these up-and-comers, the young, young whipsnappers, to repeat their parents' mistakes. Don't do what I did. Learn from my mistakes. Rather, he invites them to respond to God's grace and mercy with love and faithfulness and obedience. Let's make that practical today. For those of you who lived through the 60s, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm just saying, for those of you who did grow through the 60s, and for your generation who have ancestors that grew through the 20s and 30s, and for those ancestors that grew through the late 1800s and all the way back to the Civil War, who would have thought We'd still be teaching generation after generation, don't judge others but love. Who would have thought that August 2nd, 2020, we'd still be talking about race as it pertains to the value and the humanity of an individual? But here we are. Who would have thought we'd still be having race discussions year after year, day after day, season after season, but here we are. Why? Because we continue to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors. This is the heart of the Shema. The Shema was in part intended to help keep kids from repeating their parents' mistakes but it's more than that. The Shema isn't just trying to make a philosophical statement about God being one or God's essence being one. Rather, the Shema is a pledge to an allegiance to the Lord of God for Israel that excludes any other allegiance to any other God. This is the subtle meaning that, that's formed in there. It's love your God. He is one. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. The Lord God is one. But it also 
has this allegiance to that one and forsaking all others. It's like when you marry someone. You stand up the, these pledges, which uh, most people can't even remember exactly what they said. They have rough ideas, but they don't remember ident- uh, identically what, what they said. But the idea is this, I choose you and I forsake all others. And we often forget that last part. I put the ring on your finger, and this is a symbol of my love that is never-ending, just like the love of God is never-ending, and I commit myself to you, and I say I do, but it also means I say no to all others. This is the Shema. Let's go back to get a better understanding of the times that this is being delivered. The Israelites have been steeped in polytheistic culture. Uh, If you're new to kind of uh, the church and theology, polytheistic essentially means belief and worship in more than one God. It's not that they didn't love God. It's that they loved God and they loved these other 12 created things. And this was very common for generation after generation after generation. It's the equivalent of dabbling here and dabbling there, kind of grabbing spirituality kind of wherever you want and kind of forming your own opinion. This was very common in the day. And from their roots in Canaan to the long years in Egypt to their traveling throughout all the Canaanite territory, throughout the wilderness, the Israelites were constantly, not just in culture, but shoulder to shoulder next to individuals that worshipped many different gods. That was very common. So this is the context that the Shema comes. And Moses believed, and rightfully so, I think we can all agree with this, that loyalty and obedience and love to their one true God was the only way to live. And the same could be true for today. That love and obedience and loyalty and allegiance to the one true God, the God of all creation, the God of Abraham and Moses, the God who is here today is the only way to live. You see, because one of the greatest threats to Israel's existence was a dividing of their allegiance to different gods because the family couldn't stay together. There would be quarrels and disagreements and at worst, wars, even between family fractions. And so the Shema was a daily reminder that the Lord our God alone is our God. Now that might not seem like a a terribly powerful statement in today's times. But for Moses, those were fighting words. Those were dividing words. Those were, I'm not going to worry about offending culture words. I am going to speak the truth that our Lord is one, and as one, He is alone, our God. And the prayer goes on from there to show the value of this passing of conviction onto later generations, to spare them the tragic results of idolatry and other gods. And it would be well for us to contemplate on the same exact aspects 
these truths as we walk daily throughout our culture. It's not just something that happens, it's something that has to be practiced. Because you and I both know, let's just call a spade a spade, it's a whole lot easier to get caught up in Facebook and Instagram and name your news channel that you prefer. It's a lot easier to get caught up in those things and then discussions amongst family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers, etc. That is way easier than to tie these truths around your hands and imprint them on your foreheads and write them on your doorposts and talk about them when you lie down and when you get up and to teach your kids. It's way easier to do the other thing. And here's the directive that Moses gives. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach them, that is, the truths and the stories and the hope and the encouragement and the strength. You shall teach them diligently to your children to your children, and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and you, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You want to know how do we navigate culture? We must get back to the Shema. We must get back to the principles located in the Shema. Because it doesn't matter if it's a, a family problem, a financial problem, a relational problem, whatever it is, we won't be able to navigate those unless we keep our eyes and remember and remember and remember. According to Moses, in the context of the Shema, love isn't this warm, fuzzy, Hallmark Channel Christmas movie. You know, they, side note, Hallmark continues to show uh, lovey-dovey Christmas movies through summer. Am I the only one that's, that seems odd? Zach, you watch those? Honest? Okay. Randy? Okay. Okay, why did I bring up Hallmark? Oh, love. Love, love isn't this like fuzzy, goosebumps, you know, the Santa Claus rips off the mask and there's her boyfriend and like they, like, it's not Will and Hannah. Like, it's not the mushy, gushy love. That's not what it is. In the Bible, love is action. In the Bible, love is hearing, paying close attention, and then responding. And in our times, and in more times to come, the cream will rise to the surface. Those who genuinely love Jesus are going to be seen because it's going to be harder to respond. And those who truly don't love Jesus is going to be so much easier just to blend into the background and fall away. When you love someone, when you act in loyalty and faithfulness, it is evident. And so for Israel, to love meant full faithful obedience in terms of their covenant relationship. 
Those terms are the laws and the commands that make up really the whole body of Deuteronomy. And obedience to these laws was never and it never will be about legalism. Legalism has no place in followers of Jesus. Legalism has a front row seat to religion, but not following Jesus. Obedience in the Old Testament is about love and listening and responding. If an Israelite loved God, it would have made it easier to listen and absorb his teachings and guidance. This is why the words listen and love are so tightly connected and then repeated throughout this process. Listen and love. Listen and love. So, I'm married 23 years this month on August 23rd. We picked the 23rd because Michael Jordan's uh, jersey number. (laughs) And I love Sandy. I have given her my life. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for that woman. I would take a bullet for her or I would go shopping. Equally dangerous. (laughs) But if she said, let's go shopping... I would. It might take me a few moments to agree, but I would. But if I don't ever act on that love, if I don't do the small things, if I don't write the Will and Hannah notes or Grace and Josh notes to each other, you're lucky I haven't called you up here. If I don't act on that, if I don't respond, well, then in what way do I love her? Do I love her academically, intellectually, contractually, or do I love her? And so there are times I go above and beyond to respond to what I feel. You know, one of the the greatest tragedies, and I counsel uh, married couples all the time, you know one of the biggest tragedies in married couples is they don't act on what they feel. They feel it, most, but then they don't act on it. Their bride walks out and and the husband thinks, wow, she looks beautiful, and he doesn't say it. The husband walks out and the wife thinks, you're average, (laughs) but she doesn't say it. (laughs) Acting on what you believe, acting on what you feel is the response of the growing, passionate Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to. The Shema became so important that within Judaism, it became that 
twice daily prayer, not out of habit, not out of ritual, and, and not out of uh, legality, but out of dependence, out of the outpouring of the heart. And we've lost that. In a lot of ways, we've lost that. And following Jesus has become a must, a have to, a roll your eyes, an inconvenience. And it's because we've forgotten. It was so widely practiced in the second temple period that Jesus himself grew up praying it. Jesus himself sat as a little boy reciting the Shema to remember. Now, if Jesus needs to put in the work, what does that mean for you and I? If Jesus needs to put in the practice and the discipline of remembering, how much more do we need to? This prayer was formative for him. He grew up on not just reciting it, but the teachings attached to it. In fact, he once was asked in the, which command in the Torah was the greatest, and he responded this way in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The first of all the commandments is, listen, O Israel. The Lord, our God, is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Hey, Jesus, Torah is a pretty thick thing. What's most important? The Shema. The Shema. In the book of Revelation, John drew upon this prayer to describe Jesus' followers. Part of the Shema prayer in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8 contains these words. You shall bind these words as a sign on your hands. They shall be as symbols between your eyes. John didn't just sit back and go, ooh, what's going to sound good 100 years from now? How do I wordsmith this? How do I write poetically? John knew exactly what he was doing. Because the physical location on your hands and between your eyes is a symbol with fairly obvious meaning. Your eyes are the place where you see and your hands you use for almost everything you do. In other words, don't even take a breath without remembering where that breath comes from. Don't even take a breath without remembering who still sits on the throne. And this prayer was a guide to the vision and the action of every moment of life for John. So what does this mean for us today? How do we take the Shema... And not just read it repeatedly and, and, and apply its principles, but when we watch the news, when we have a horrible, rotten, not-so-very-good day, or whatever that book is called, 
When we have one of those moments like I had this week, what do we do? I'm not saying go home and paint your house. And I'm not even saying go home and turn on worship music. But I am saying as we live in culture with repeated injustices and we face opposition everywhere around us, attacks from friends and family, criticism on social media, burdened hearts at home, how do we respond? Well, we would do well to remember the guidance of Moses. And that is this. Sweet friends, please hear this. Remember. Remember. Remember to keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember to occupy your time with Him. Remember to fill your thoughts with things of heaven. Remember God's faithfulness to you. You might be in a storm today, but joy is coming in the morning. Remember. Remember that you have been called. Remember that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore you bring the presence and the peace of the Prince wherever you go. Remember. And does that solve injustice? Of course not. Let's not be naive about that. But it will guide your heart in the midst of it. And then God will use you to bring hope. The Shema is a beautiful prayer. There's a reason why God's people have been praying these words for a millennia. They are simple words with the capacity to reshape the course of our lives. Even when you're walking through the storm. The Shema can keep God's love and loyalty in the forefront of your thinking, in the forefront of your vision. And that way, when everything's happening around you, your eyes are still fixed on the gaze of Jesus. Not out of obligation, not out of duty, not out of uh, legalism, but out of love. And the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are obviously derived from the Shema. John chapter 14, verse 21. The one who has my commands and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. That's the one who's walking with me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. John chapter 14, verse 21. Isn't that ultimately what we desire as followers of Christ? Is that God would love Brian and reveal himself to Brian? That God would love Cheryl and reveal himself to Cheryl? 
that, that God would pour out his love to Mike and Kelly and reveal himself to the two of you in a very special, unique, personal way. Isn't that what we desire? Isn't that what will carry us? And remember whose love started this whole reaction, this chain reaction of loving that leads to obedience. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because He first loved us. We don't love because it's the right thing to do. We don't love because that's the cool thing to do in culture right now. We love because Jesus first loved. And at the end of the day, following Jesus is about love. Getting through and interacting with culture and the struggle and the strife that we have within culture is about love. Love came to us when we weren't looking for it. Man, I haven't even gone on Tanner and Amy. That was a huge missed opportunity. Sorry, Hannah and Will. Man, I just destroyed you guys and I'm getting you guys in the next few weeks. This love, it generates gratefulness. It generates humility. It, it generates obedience. It generates passion. It, it generates falling on your face before the throne because we don't deserve it. These are the truths that can transform us in the midst of the storm. And make no mistake, in regards to our lifetime, we are in a storm. And it can create in us a clean heart that can offer hope in the midst of this present darkness. Remember, 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 remember. We have this table. Man, it's been a long, actually, let's, March 8th. We have not taken communion as the body of Christ in physical, in-person form since March 8th. The scriptures say that Jesus uh, took the bread and he broke it and said, do this in remembrance of me. And then he raised the cup, probably an old, rusty, normal, everyday cup filled with some wine. He raised it and said, this is my blood that will be shed, that will be poured out on behalf of you. For as often as you repeat what we're doing here, in other words, as often as you break the bread and drink the cup, you do this in remembrance of me. You remember so it will give you you remember so it will give you strength in the midst of what you're living out because the disciples, they were about to enter into a storm. But if you remember, if you live out the Shema in physical form, that will change everything. Man, we give the disciples such a hard time. I was like, what are you So we do that. We we come to the Lord's table for all of those who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. And we take the wafer and we take the juice and we remember. So we're going to do that this morning. Uh, if you're watching at home, uh, so grateful for you. We're continuing to, to try and make the online experience wonderful for you. Thank you for tuning in. Just go get some bread, go get some juice, go get something to drink that allows you to remember. 
huddle by yourself, huddle as a family, huddle as friends, huddle as a life group. And remember and allow that to shape your perspective. For those of us in this room, we're going to do it a little bit differently. It's COVID style. We're going to ask you to come individually to the table. Individually meaning if, if you're here by yourself or if you're here with your family, that's you're a family unit. So either individually or as a family unit, approach the table. They're individually, professionally packaged, uh, juice, juice underneath and wafer on the top. And then return to your seat and enjoy that. We're going to ask as you do approach the table if you would keep your masks on. And then obviously you can remove your mask to partake in communion when you're back at your seat. It's a little bit different, but at least we get to do it. So take your time. Heather and the team will lead us in worship. Come when you're ready. Don't force it. Come and remember that the Lord is good. And He's still good today. And as Mimi prayed this morning during morning prayer, which, by the way, cheap commercial, we meet every morning at 9.15 for prayer. Love to have you join us. And she prayed, God, I know you're good and doing great things all around it. Help us to see it. What a great prayer for all of us this morning as we approach the Lord's table. So would you pray with me? And then I invite you to enjoy this gift. So, Lord, we are grateful for what sits before us uh, here at the church and for those families that are at home partaking in communion. Thank you for the gift of what it represents, and we choose to remember today. We choose to remember your goodness. We choose to remember your faithfulness. We choose to remember how you have provided over and over and over, how you fight on behalf of your people, how you bring about justice, how you bring about love, how you bring about care, and even storms. You're doing a great thing, so help us to remember that. It is to have. We pray this in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.